Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Nina Pantic, joined by Irina Falcone. Hey, Irina. Hey, how's it going? This episode does not have any special guests besides ourselves, of course. And we're talking about Roland Garros. It is a very bizarre and weird French Open for us and for everyone there. And we want to talk about different things that have stood out to us. Uh, especially, I guess the most obvious is the new conditions and how different everything is. We're going to talk about what players stand out for us players that have performed really well, as everyone knows, so many unseated players have absolutely been having dream Cinderella runs, and Irina knows a few of them personally. So let's start with who has stood out the most to you, Irina? To be honest, the one person that definitely sticks out to me is Iga Svatik. She just played unbelievable tennis against Halep, and she's just been progressively playing so well, starting from the U.S. Open. I know she had a tough loss against Azarenka, but I mean, her last three years have just been incredible. I remember playing her about three years ago. It was in April before the French Open. And uh, actually, no, correction. It was on my birthday, May 4th. And I was playing a tournament in South Carolina. And I played her and she cleaned my clock. She cleaned it good. And she showed me what it's like to be just, I mean, she demolished me on the court. And I, right after the match, I was like, all right, you know what? She was way, she was too good today. She played phenomenal. And I was just like, I told my boyfriend at the time, I said, you know what? This girl's going to be really good. Like, I see something in her that I haven't seen in a junior in a very long time. She absolutely is. I believe last year she made the fourth round of the French. Then she made the fourth round of the Australian Open. Now she's been doing amazing in Paris again. We talked to her, the press talked to her after her first round win. And it was in like small room, side room seven. And it was a private conversation. Really cool to hear from her. And she was saying how the biggest thing for her from the US Open to the French Open was her mentality had to change. Because when she went to New York, she was like, all these big players aren't coming. This is my opportunity to finally do well and like, well, to do better and do further than a fourth round. And she put this pressure on herself and just freaked out. And even though she had a tough draw, obviously, you know, as a rank, a tough draw, but she felt this crazy pressure and has a psychologist that she works with. And she's based in Poland, so went back there and trained with her coach and her psychologist, came to the French Open with a reset attitude, and she's 19. So to manage to turn around like that, super cool. And she seems like a nice, fun kid, has a lot of flair and style on the court, super talented. I'm excited to see what she does, you know, and the French Open, obviously, but beyond that. So it's, it's exciting. And another player that you have also played that has done incredible things at the French Open is this girl who I thought was Russian. I'm sure everyone else did. She's Argentinian, Nadia Podoroska. She's a qualifier that has made her way to the quarterfinals. We're recording this on the Monday, so she could do better. She could, she could lose. But in any case, you've also played her. I have played. It's so funny to be able to talk about all these players that are playing right now. And I'm like, yep, played her in this tournament, played her in that tournament. And uh, Nadia, I actually played her last year in Houston. And it was one of my, it was the first WTA that I was back from like my sabbatical. And uh, 
I just I played a good match. Like I, I played a really great match. I was able to come out with a win. But to be completely honest, hard courts is not her thing. Like she just thrives on the clay. She is a clay quarter through and through. She always she loves to play on clay, and she runs around to her, to hit her forehand better than I think any female on tour. And she has so much whip and so much shape on that forehand. There were a few times, even when I played her last year in Houston, where I was like, wow, that, that forehand's got, it, it's something special. Um, so to see her doing so well, it's kind of like, all right, I know that to be an all-court player, you have to be able to play on all surfaces, but there's going to be some surfaces that you kind of excel at. And it's no surprise whatsoever that she's, on like doing so well at the French. I want to ask you, is it weird? Cause you're obviously not in Paris and you didn't go and play. Does it feel weird watching these players that you either beat or lost to regardless which one, but is it weird seeing them do so well? And you think like, Oh, maybe I could do that too. Or are you more in a mellow stage right now? I think COVID has definitely got me in a very mellow stage. And, uh, I think, there's a huge difference from watching it on TV compared to when I was in New York and I was commentating for these matches and I was watching it live and I was like, Oh man, like I, I, I want to be out there. You know, I think it's a very completely, uh, it's a completely different state of mind. Um, but to be honest, it kind of also gives me so much confidence if I were to go back on tour and play again, like, Hey, look at what these girls are doing. I just played them a couple of years ago and, or I just won or just lost. It's like, Hey, like clearly they're doing well. Like you can go back there and be just as good. So in a sense, you just have to see it. Like every, every one of those matches that I've played, it's a learning experience. And so if I do go back, I just have to have the right mindset. Like ego said, you know what? You can learn from a 19 year old. I think we all can. And it's, it's been a wild French open. I mean, just so much opportunity for these players. There was 10 non-seeded players in the round of 16 in the women's draw and six in the men's. A lot of unexpected qualifiers and wild cards going deep. My theory, I don't know if this is popular opinion, is that the big names haven't played as many tournaments. And as some of these younger or lower ranked players, like for example, the Hugo Gaston played all these challengers leading into the French. So the opportunities have been a little different. Players have been picky about where they're going to go because of COVID, because of lack of training. It kind of makes sense. It's made for just... I mean, chaos, I would say, and combine that with the rain the wet conditions, the dark conditions. What, what do you think is the reason that some players just haven't been able to do well, like Halep, Polishkova lost early, Medvedev lost early, and all these non, non-seeded players just crushing it? I mean, I think that has a lot to do with just the uncertainty of what is 2020 um, coming from U.S. Open, where as a top player, you're like, all right, this is my opportunity to shine. Just like Ika was saying, you know, just because you're top 10, what if you're 10 in the world and you're like, okay, the one and two aren't coming, like, here's my chance, you know? Um, So in a sense, I think there's a lot of players that have just been, I don't know if if the term is not dealing it with it necessarily, but it's just I think that the U.S. Open was one of those tournaments where a lot of players were like, okay, this is my chance. And you saw some Cinderella stories. And a lot of players that maybe didn't play the U.S. Open were like, well, I wasn't at the U.S. Open, but this is my chance at the French Open. Because just just because there aren't a lot of players there, I mean, there's still a lot of competition. Um, So 
in a sense, I, I wouldn't also be surprised if a lot of players are kind of checked out, especially the top ones. Uh, it's almost the end of the year. You know, ranking points aren't necessarily counted this year. So the mindset's got to be so different for so many of these top players. But as Simona Halep said, after losing to Iga, she's like, you know what? I'm not going to let one match affect my entire year. It's been a tough year. I'm just going to go have some chocolate and I'll be better tomorrow. So learn from Simona. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Um, exactly. It has been a very bizarre year. I think a lot of players are ready to put 2020 behind them and start fresh. And you did mention the rankings, like they're not as impacted by week in, week out results because of the new rule, which is great in many ways, but I think might affect motivation in other ways. And I don't know, from my perspective, I found watching night matches in Paris insane. I'm really glad that matches are able to be finished late. It's great. We watched our former podcast star, Danielle Collins, beat Garbine Muguruza after 11 p.m. And it's just, it's surreal, but I understand there is, you know, things have to progress. The roof makes sense. Thank God for the roof this year. We need more roofs. Well, I mean, people have to adapt. And one of the things that uh, all these players have to adapt with are the conditions, the balls are heavier, the weather's heavier. And there's just so many different protocols that are now in place due to COVID-19. Um, and I mean, to be honest, you're also one of the people that is affected. You also have to do interviews now via virtual Zoom call. And just, just like we're talking now, I mean, it's all virtual now. Like, how's it feel just being from behind a screen, be able to interview all these players? It's okay. So on the positive side, I've never actually worked the French Open. I've gone to watch you. I think it was 2012. So I've been there, but I've never worked it. So this is the first year that I've gotten to access players coming off of red clay courts, a grand slam. So I'm honored and I'm thrilled to be part of the virtual press, but it is psycho. Like the way that it all works, it's Microsoft Teams. So obviously I'm a little more used to Zoom, but I'm with it with technology, but there's just so many like different problems. There's lag, there's times where you're on mute and they're on mute. Everyone's trying to figure out what they're doing. And then you ask a question but you can't always do the follow-up. And sometimes the follow-up is like the most important part because sometimes the first question is just setting you up and you don't actually have the opportunity to follow up because the moderator will mute you. And then you can't pick up that thread later. So you're just like, okay, well, that's, you just have this one shot. And then some journalists ask really long rambling questions. And I think when we're all together in a room, we're less likely to do that because when you're virtual, you kind of feel like the floor is mine no one's going to mute you mid-question, so let's just take this shot. And sometimes it really cuts into the press time. I've noticed that's been a little frustrating, but oh, I don't know. I really, 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 really hope that we don't do journalism online in the future and virtual forever because face-to-face -face interaction, you just can't do better than that. And I think a few players have actually mentioned it. Like I think it was Grigor Dimitrov said he misses being in a press room with people because the way you interact with humans in real life is very different than through a screen. And I just imagine them sitting in this room with like a bunch of screens in front of them and our faces popping in and out and it's just too weird and it's too clunky and I kind of I hate it but I also love having the access and sometimes you get one-on-ones like I talked to Igor Schweitek it wasn't one-on-one -on -one, but almost and it's cool to, to be able to at least hear from them and, and and do all that but 
it's so awkward for the most part. And uh, I don't know. And then recording it, like I tried to record podcasts for the, the show and it's not always working. Like things are a little bit chaotic, but you do the best you can, like the players. You just have to roll with the punches. And that's, I feel like that's the motto for 2020 right now. And I've noticed as well, like with the players, like in terms of the way they're playing has also been a little different. Like I haven't seen so many underhand serves before. And it, it makes, like I'm actually pro underhand. I don't know if you are. I am. Got to hit them with a little surprise every now and then. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever done an underhand serve in your career? I've never done it. I'm a very big fan of watching it being done. Uh, but someone like, uh, I think it was Mackie McDonald that did it against Rafael Nadal. It makes complete sense. The guy is standing near like 25 feet behind the baseline. It's, I think it's, it's one of the better plays. It's a good surprise tactic. And if you're rushing to the net, I mean, it's a good call, but I mean, it's probably not going to get you a winner or get you an easy ball with Rafael Nadal. There's a reason why he's so good, but uh, I think it's, it's just such a great surprise element. And a lot of players are, a lot of times I feel like they're actually offended. They're like, did you really just underhand me? And then to lose a point when someone underhands you is just so humiliating. So you put those combinations together and it's just like, oh my gosh, I cannot lose a point when they underhand. I, I'm with you that it makes sense as a strategy because some players do stand really far back. We've seen Sarah Arani do it, not because it's really a strategy, because she really is struggling with her serve and wants to get it in. Works for her sometimes, it doesn't, but it's part of her like arsenal, like a regular arsenal. My favorite, though, was Alexander Bublik, who discussed it at length in press. And there's another one that was a kind of a smaller press room. And he was saying how it's 70% luck, but he practices it a lot. And he likes to add side better because it's more of an inside out slice. You can get that drop shot versus the juice court. And I totally understood what he was saying. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm also a big fan of seeing all these drop shots. I mean, we saw Hugo Gaston hit like a billion. Even Novak Djokovic has been doing it. It seems to be the trendiest thing after the underhand serve. Arena, you are a pro at the drop shot. What are the keys to the drop shot? Can you, can you tell us? The biggest thing you have to have, it's just, it's camouflage. You have to be able to hide it so well. Uh, I love to drop shot off both sides, but it really is a great shot off the forehand just because forehands are typically the bigger shot for any player, not all, just for most players, the forehand just like tends to be one of the weapons. And so when someone is, you know, has a high ball or whatever, and you just see them wind up for a forehand, you start backing up. It's just a normal thing to do. And so when all of a sudden they go and they wind up for a forehand and then they decide to cut you with a drop shot, it's, it's pretty gut-wrenching, especially if it's like in the middle of the court and you just had no shot because you just weren't even thinking that it was a possibility. Um, but I, I think it has a lot to do with just positioning of the court. Novak just uses it so well because someone that is playing Novak, you're, you're already pushed back. You're starting the match pushed back. Rafa is another one where I'm like, you should totally use that shot like more often because he pushes everyone back. So I think that with the fact that players haven't been playing very much, they haven't had a lot of match play, they haven't really been working on their reaction skills per se that come from playing matches, I think it's a great shot in tennis right now. <laughs> Especially with the conditions and how cold it is and the balls are heavy and go for it. 
I thought all the talk about the balls being heavy was exhausting and stupid, but I do understand that it's an important, obviously an important part of the game is what you're using to hit with. But the drop shots have been amazing to watch. I think recreational and like casual viewers enjoy it too. It's a bit exciting, especially like the drop shot lob combo. My favorite drop shot of the tournament is Lorenzo Soniego. He has since lost, but he hit a drop shot in this crazy super, the tiebreaker that went to 1917 against Taylor Fritz. And on match point, he just... He just went for it. And I think it just takes such courage, such balls. And he just so casual about it and so confident. And I just, I love seeing players pull it off. Oh yeah. It's, it's fun to be able to hit a drop shot like that when it matters and to win the point. Whew. Yeah. It's, it's good. Fun. I think it's an under practice shot. I think people, I know recreational players will start practicing underhand serves, but maybe start with the drop shot before you get too crazy With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And now, I mean, looking ahead, Irina, there is not much after the French Open. This tournament is wrapping up on Sunday. It's been such a crazy month between the U.S. Open, Cincy, and this. And now it's kind of an expansive confusion. There are so few women's tournaments, it's ridiculous. There are three ITFs, one WTA, and Ostrova. The men have somehow nine ATP events, so I could be wrong, it could have changed, and four ITFs in the U.S., I mean. So three, I meant women's are in the U.S. So like, what, what do you, what do you, what is there to do? You know, that's a very good question. And I think a lot of players are right now thinking like, you know what, I'm just going to pack it in after French open. Like just, I, I don't know. That's what I would probably think that a lot of players are thinking. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many players actually like finish, how many top players actually go and finish like throughout like the rest of the year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's slim pickings, very slim pickings. So let's see what 2021 brings. I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for a little bit of a slowdown in a way because it has been so much, but at the same time, it's scary to not know what really is next, especially as a player. But I know the Australian open 2021, it's still a go. Roger Federer and Serena Williams have committed. It sounds like it's going to involve a very, very early arrival to Australia We'll see how that unfolds. But in the meantime, between now and then, we're going to have a lot more fun podcasts for everyone, more guests coming up. So everyone needs to stay tuned to tennis.com podcast because we will still be around no matter what happens with our schedule in terms of tournaments. So Irina, thank you for chatting with me today. I know it was weird that a guest, but we're doing the best we can and I've really enjoyed it. We got to just keep rolling with the punches. Motto of 2020. Here it is. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, 
Editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva. Producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley. And executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.